This year, we've been on a year of reformation, and today is no different. Throughout the course of our lives, we recognize that problems and situations, they start to shape us in the wrong kind of way. Maybe lost loves, broken hearts, um, people that have passed, loss of job, loss of health. Ultimately, things just start pushing and pressing on us until we must admit we got a little deformed. We used to be on fire for God at some point in our lives, most of us, and then that fire has dwindled down to a tiny little spark. We've made excuses after excuses of wrongdoing that we know we shouldn't have no business doing in the first place. We started lying about big stuff and little stuff. Hello, somebody. Curse words start flying off with no type of control. Hello. Emotions spiraling out of control, negative thoughts and oppression just pummeling us down to the ground. And we look up and go, what, what? What has happened to me? This cannot be the individual that God had in mind when he made me. And all of us at the end of this life, and we only get this one shot, are going to have to answer to God about what we did with the person that he gave you. Some of us are very attractive, Brother Tory, <laughs> Minister Hudson, my daddy. All right. Some, all right. All right, some of us are, are beautiful, Sister Yariana. Some of us are intelligent. I'm not calling anybody out for that one. So <laughs> some of us are witty, charming, funny. Some of us are quiet and introspective. Some of us are caring. Some of us are rash, harsh, abrasive, right? Absent-minded, right? And no matter what he made you, he desired that you take every bit of that and maximize that you become the absolute best version of yourself that he had in mind without excuse. As we talked about on a couple Sundays ago, the purpose of Christianity and you being created is not that you just return yourself back to God. Like, ooh, I made it to heaven. Whew. Good job. No, no, no. That's not the plan. The Bible says that demons believe in Jesus because they know him. And it goes on to say that they're not going to heaven. So this must tell us emphatically that just because you believe in God is not sufficient for you to go to heaven. I know some people are like, what? I thought that was the whole shebang. Well, if you study the parables of Christ and some of the talents, he makes it very plain that the kingdom of heaven is like a man that had some, some property or a kingdom. And he gave talents to some servants. And at the end of in two parables, he says they were supposed to multiply those talents. And to the one servant that only had one talent, he hid it and buried it. And when the servant, the master came back, gave him back that one talent, he's the one that went to hell. So Christ begins to reveal in scripture that the purpose of your life is to be fruitful and multiply. That just because you said I made it here, Jesus, intact, is not it. He anticipates that you come back with something in your hand. That you've taken that sweet personality you have and you multiplied it. You were sweet to other people and got them to come to Christ and to know the gospel. That you took your abrasiveness and you could really get through to people that nobody else would get through to. And you used that to God's glory and you multiplied and you got other people to see God and you came with them in your hand. The goal of Christianity, and it's not true belief if you don't do it, is that when you return to him, you take what little or lot he gave you and you increase it. Just showing up is not the ticket. <laughs> 
Hello? All right. As long as we have this understanding, okay? Now, now, now I think I have your attention. All right? All right? You got my, now, oh, what do I need to do? I'm about to tell you, okay? So, in life, we all get misshapen from stuff. All right? And we look up and go, I, this is not what I thought. I don't think he had this in mind. It's too much Mm-mm, going on. No. So this year, we have 52 weeks of fig- figuring out how to be reformed. All right? 52 weeks in the year. In case you didn't know, it's 52 weeks in a year. All right? And each one of those weeks, we get to find a new way that God wants to reshape us or reform us to what he originally had in mind. Amen. That's important. All right? So this week, we're going to look at... Um, one of those concepts. Okay. So this week we're going to look at reformation through maturity. I think last week was reformation through responsibility. Week before that was reformation through blessings. And this week is reformation through maturity. It's Easter Sunday. It's the Sunday that Christ uh, rose from the dead. It's a very powerful day. On Palm Sunday, which was the Sunday before this, just to catch everybody up, okay? This is what Christians call the Holy Week, okay? It kicks off somewhere around Palm Sunday, all right? Around Passover, all right? And at this point, all the Christians are celebrating the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, the capital of all Jewish religion, and everyone was proclaiming, thousands of people that were with him were proclaiming that he was the Messiah, the Son of God the king, the Christ. This is a big deal because at this point, all of Israel was in bondage per se, under Roman rule. Like the Romans let them do stuff, but not too much. At the end of the day, they always had to answer to the man, Caesar, all right? And so this Christ that was showing up, the entire multitude and all his believers that were with him are just throwing up palms and laying out their clothes that we found the Christ. We found the one that's going to free us from Roman rule and we're going to live happily ever after. Just like the scripture said, and everybody is going crazy. Yeah, you're so amazing. At the end of this parade, Jesus Christ, because he's confronted with the idea that the Jewish people, for the largest part, don't believe that he's the king. Now, there's tension and conflict. You got 4,000 folk rolling in off the streets, coming into pristine Jerusalem. Hello, somebody. Out here with John the Baptist eating bugs and looking all wild and crazy. Out here doing all radical with Jesus. And they come up and they meet all the religious elite and those that are very, very structured, extremely structured, right? Tension. It all starts to mount. At some point, Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. You know the story, Judas, all right? Judas betrays him, turns him over to the the, the Sadducees and Pharisees who then turn Christ over to the Romans. And before you know it, Jesus is crucified. Now, he had told his disciples on many occasions, it is important that I am crucified. And on the third day, I will rise. He said this on two other accounts before this happened. But for some reason... It did not register in their mind exactly what this meant. Because even when God is plain with us, if it's something we don't want to change about our viewpoint, we don't even hear it. I mean, he's direct. 
it is true. The son of God must be crucified. And in three days, he literally says he will rise. So when it happened, everybody was like, oh, no. What happened? They couldn't even put it together. How many warnings has God given you about your life? How many times has he tried to tell you, you need to get this part of your life together? Hello, somebody. Mm -hmm. So even when God says it, if he does not assist you in hearing it, you won't even hear it. You won't even hear it. So Christ was eventually crucified. Now, contrary to popular belief and the pictures that we see with him hanging on a cross, gives him a little dignity with a little swatch of fabric around his private parts. But that is not actually how that went down. A man that did no wrong, that tried to help everybody. Every, he was the nicest person anybody ever met. He was wise. He was smart. Everybody was noticed. You see what I'm saying? He didn't just go for the people that are the majority. He went for the people that were not the majority. And everybody was noticed and everybody was seen, no matter how big or how small. I mean, this, who wouldn't love a man like this? Who? I mean, he was, he concerned about your mom and them. My, my mama, she got fever. Let's go. My cousin, he about to die. Let's go. And he was concerned. I mean, this was. He could be in the middle of preaching a sermon and somebody dropped down from the ceiling. Heal my friend. He paralyzed. And he, he said, all right, let's get up. And he does it. Just, just stop everything for that one. This man was loved by thousands upon thousands of people. For three and a half years, he was consistently the same. They didn't have internet. He didn't do a miracle and then it was all over the internet. It was trending. No, it took days and months for that one miracle to get to somebody else thousands of miles away. And then that person took days and weeks to get to Jesus in order to get what they needed from Jesus. This means that every time somebody saw him, he was actually the same person. Never had a bad day. Anointing and power flowing every day. Well, I tried to hear you didn't work. Oh, well, no, it was always working every single time. He loved the babies. He loved the old folk. He loved the people that had leprosy that nobody wanted to touch. He touched them. He didn't just say, okay, you can be healed. He went to them and touched them. This is what you really need. You really need somebody to come to you. Then you really need somebody to put hands on you. It ain't just the sickness. It's, it's the loneliness that comes with your condition. That's, that's what you need. You need somebody to touch you and say, I love you, right? So he did all of this. This is, this is a very nice man. He was gone. And this man, they crucified, stripped him naked, beat him horribly. Now, this is, this is off-putting, okay? Because if you're God, you can put a stop to all of this, and he doesn't. And all his followers are watching going, why won't you do something? We've seen your power. You healed me. You healed my cousin and him. Do something. Peter is gone. Peter is a, I'm going to get you. I'm going to ride or die us. Peter sees Jesus take this beating and he is, you know what? I don't even know what to do with this. Because Peter said, we can fight. Let's go. Right? You say, no. Put the man's ear that Peter cut off back on his head. Now, be healed. Put the ear back on and said, Peter, we ain't going to fight. Now, this messes up a man's mentality, okay? You the king, all right? Everybody know you the king. We got thousands of people with you saying you the king. This is our moment. Let's take over. Let's make it happen. And, and who, who you going to fight with us? It's our time. Yeah, yeah, take the knife out. 
Things start going crazy. People start pushing and shoving. Jesus starts to say, calm down. And there's a whole conversation. He's trying to explain, calm down. This has to happen. Everybody, Peter, put the knife away. Put it down. Put it down. Okay, put your ear back on you. It's healed like it never happened. Never happened. Everybody calm down. They take him. They beat him. Crucify him. His servants are dumbfounded. He is stripped naked on a cross. It's one thing to be in pain. We talked about this on, on Good Friday. It's one thing to be sick. It's one thing to have your insides all ripped up. You understand? And you crying. Don't you, oh, and when you're in pain, don't you want to be by yourself? You don't want nobody looking at your face while you over here hurting and crying and snotting. And now he got everybody, not only is he in physical pain, everybody gets to watch. Completely vulnerable. No covering, no cloth, no sword. Nailed like an animal to a cross and looked at like some freak show. And everybody gets to decide what they think about him. People that thought he was, what's up, are now doubting and changing their mind. People that always knew he wasn't about nothing are now more confirmed that he was never about nothing. And he took it. When they take him off the cross, they bury him. The disciples are lost for three days. They didn't know it was going to be three days. They hadn't put it all together. Their whole world shattered. Ever been there? They thought it was going to go one way. We got the ticket. We got the plan. It's all about to be good. I found the Christ. Everything, we about to come up, and then it all crumbles, and nothing goes as planned. Disciples thinking, I got to go back home to my regular life. Head down like I done messed up. Look, told you was an idiot going out there following Jesus. Told you it wasn't about nothing. Now look at you. And you got to process how you got to go back home and deal with all the humiliation of picking the wrong Messiah. Three days, they stuck with this. Like, <laughs> not only did your best friend, somebody you really, really loved, you watched them tortured and humiliated, but your life was so connected that it feels like you don't even know how to go on. Anybody ever been there? For three days, they stayed in this state. And on the third day, you know the story. He got up. On the third day, he rose from the dead. Now, this is, this is a catch here, okay? We've seen him raise other people up from the dead, right? Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus gets up. Other girl, wake up. You, I'm going to send the word, get up. And people was raising up from the dead, and sickness is all over the place. And the man that was responsible for raising them up from the dead, he himself is now dead. If I was there, I would have been like, so... You was raising everybody up from the dead. True that. You got that power. All right, now you dead. What, what, what? Who gonna raise up the folk? Right, right, right. You was the one we went to to be raised from the dead. If you think about it theologically, the Jews were thinking, thinking that you are the resurrection. Thus, you are fulfilling signs of raising people up from the dead. But then when you die, um, who? 
how you die? You been, they still didn't put it together. You dead, who gonna raise us up? See, this, this, this is not that janky, okay? I don't even know, I don't even know no more. Peter gives up, goes fishing. Yeah, I'm going back to my old life, just bump this. This is too much for me to handle. But he got up nevertheless. I wanna look at why he got up, and I wanna look at why he's not here now. Cause that, that's the real catcher right there. That's the thing, like, if this your kingdom, we was all prepared. Let's look at, uh, I think it's Luke is where we're going to today, real quick. All right, that was your gospel for today? The whole gospel story. Luke chapter 24. <coughs> when Jesus raises from the dead, it's a whole bunch of things happening, all right? The women were the first ones at his tomb, and they went and told everybody, he is not in that tomb, all right? Women preached the gospel first, the Savior, he has risen. He, they went to go tell the men disciples. The men disciples said, you have lost your mind, and you are overwhelmed with grief. He raises people up from the dead, and then he died. Who raised him up? See, this is the, who raised him up? Can't be. There's nobody present to raise him up. And who was this man that's so powerful to raise him up? Where he at? Peter gets there first. Looks, look, 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 it go to him right here. Looks inside. I can act him out. He look inside. He look inside that tomb, and he can't go in. He just glances at it and realizes, number one, this heavy stone is rolled out the way. And I can tell you he ain't in there. Hands is probably shaking, stomach all in knots, because he remembers being in a tomb himself. He remembers what it felt like to be wrapped in grave clothes. He remembered what it was like to actually die and to feel like it was all over and there was no hope. He remembers the pain of that traumatic event and how it made him feel. And he can't even fathom going in there. So he didn't go in. Peter finally catches up. He runs in. He don't believe it. He comes out scratching his head. Looks at probably Lazarus. Lazarus muscles up some strength, goes in and finds that his face cloth is folded neatly as one that has returned or will return. Both of them dumbstruck. Jesus then starts making appearances to over three to four hundred other disciples. Not one or two, not twelve, hundreds upon hundreds. People won't even know, like, I saw him, he did get up even know their name but he made sure that they saw him man I wish I could have been one of them but yeah did he see you yeah he saw me I saw you came and visited me okay all right you get a visit no mm. <laughs> I'm just kidding all right let's move on <laughs> mm, you ain't get no visit mm. told you about that smoking I'm just kidding. So he, he catches up. Jesus actually appears to Peter and probably Lazarus as a stranger. And he's walking with them and talking. And he's like, what's going on? And they're having a whole conversation in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus hides himself from their eyes. Like, they, he won't let them recognize that he's the Christ. And he's walking and talking with them. And he's like, what's the big hubbub? And they're like, you ain't heard. You're the only person in all of Jerusalem ain't heard what's been going on. And he tell them, they tell him the whole story about Jesus, what he did, how he died. Then he, then he got up. And the women say he rose from the dead. But we don't know if we could trust him. I may give him the whole tea. Pour it out, right? Yeah. Jesus is like, oh, okay. So he starts saying, well, have you considered the scriptures? 
the Old Testament. Is it true that this man, the Messiah, if he is the king, they would have to die? And they're like, uh. And isn't it true that if he was the Messiah, that he would have to get up again? Uh. At this point, this man is reading their right. Like, you don't know nothing. Let me tell you. And they're like, doggone. So they're all excited, like, oh, my God, this might be it. You ever been so excited about a possibility that something that you desperately wanted could actually come to pass, but you're also afraid to be true? It's like, ooh, ooh, and ooh, 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 and you, you're right there. Like, I want to be really excited about the change that could really come. And then you face with, well, what if it ain't the change? And what if I got it wrong? And what if it's not today? And what if it's more the same old, same old? What if me and my marriage going to be the same? What if my relationship going to be the same? What if my job, my money, my family, it's all going to be the same? And you almost want to believe. Jesus. Welcome to church. And so they get to their destination, and the stranger that's walking with them pretends like he's about to keep walking on. And they say, whoa, 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 it's late. Really, they're saying, come tell us some more, man. This is, you got us all excited about the possibilities that it may not be over, that it may not be done. Tell us more, tell us more. He, he's like, all right. Well, okay, I'll stay. Come to the house. You know, Christian form, they eat. Okay. They break out some food. And as they're starting to eat, there's a loaf of bread on the table. And this stranger takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it. And at this moment, Jesus allows the disciples to recognize him. He breaks open the bread. They say, oh, from the last time they ate with Jesus, he did the exact same thing. He broke open the bread. Their eyes like open. Oh my God, it's you. And then he disappears. Can you imagine actually seeing that, you know, and be like, Huh, hey, oh, oh, I wish I would have got it sooner, right? Wish I would have got it. Now he's vanished, disappears right in front of his eyes. He didn't walk out the door. Mm -mm. No, he didn't walk, he didn't walk out the door. He sat there and ate with them, broke bread, and then it, it's you. It is you. This is where we're going to look at today because something happens toward the end of this story. Verse 45 of, chapter, of Luke chapter 24 pretty much says what we talked about. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the last thing he tells them, right? He's saying, I need you to be a witness of what just happened. I died. I was buried. I got up. I showed myself to you, not as a spirit, but in bodily form. I ate food. I drank drink, and then I vanished. Tell that. See, see, that's how you know this stuff ain't fake, okay? Because you ain't going to get me to tell that story, so he ate. I've actually had to have debates with pastors who do not know scripture that swear Jesus rose up as a spirit. 
Biblically, it says he was in flesh and blood. This means that the man that was raising other people up from the dead did not need anyone to raise himself up from the dead. See, I was rich you with the get thou get up, you know. Ooh. Now who gonna do that to you? You just did it. How you was dead? How did you do? How did you, when you're dead, do anything to yourself? Cause you are dead. I don't understand how when you are dead, you then could do something to yourself. Anybody ever found you are dead? This. Then you did something. When you dead, you can't do nothing. He did something. To himself, right? Okay. He got his body, exactly, baby. He got his body to be alive. Again. Crazy. He said, I did this so that you might be a witness to all nations. Watch this phrase. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. When we look at the multitude, the thousands of people that were with him, his supporters, his fans, then we look at the disciples, right? Then we look at his enemies that didn't like him. We recognize that the real need that everybody wanted was salvation. Everybody wanted to be saved from something. And his followers wanted to be saved from Roman rule. But nobody understood nor did they desire to be saved from sins. Let me do that again. Everybody wants to be saved from something. I want to be saved from this miserable marriage. I want to be saved from this horrible relationship, saved from this terrible addiction, saved from this lying tongue, saved from my own anger, saved from my bitterness. I want to be saved from my depression. I need to be saved from my body is hurting. I want to be saved from so much. Can you think of the things that you want to be saved from? The issue with the Jewish people that he was going to in Jerusalem is everybody wanted to be saved from something external some problem that they had out of themselves. But no one wanted to be saved from the sins that they committed. And the truth of the matter is, we all sin. And we all feel bad about it. Every human being. When they believe in God, general morality says that we all do stuff bad and we all feel bad about it and we don't know where we got that from. The Big Bang, then I put that in you. Okay, all right. But you feel bad and everybody feels bad about it. And he says, what I want you to do is recognize you need to be saved from sins. And everybody's like, I, I'm good. Okay, I'll be safe from them. But could you also save my bank account? <laughs> or we add that if you save my bank account, you know, then I'll stop sinning. If you, if you let him marry me, then I'll stop sinning. If you let this work out, then I'll stop sinning. If you just let me go ahead and get this money right quick, then I'll stop sinning. If you let me go ahead. Come on. Eric, come, whoop, 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 whoop. All right. You ain't got to act like you agree. I know you do. You just make yourself miserable because a good amen is all you really need. Hey, you see, I feel better. Everybody done did it. The 
People wanted Jesus to save them from Roman oppression, but not from their sins. His soaring popularity is what got him in trouble. And now that he's raised from the dead, for what? When Mary and, and, and the rest of the female disciples, they see him, and he's like, and he shows himself, and she wants to give him a hug. Oh, my God, Jesus, I thought you was the, the, the groundskeeper. It's really you. Hey. And he says, don't cling to me because I have not ascended yet. And he tells her something. You can't want me to stay here. It's not about touching me. It's about don't desire that I stay here with you because I can't. I have to ascend. This is the thing that made me ask questions. If you died for my sins, one, then you raised from the dead. True. I think that it's a good time for you to start ruling. If we just, if you, you died on the cross for my sins, you raised from the dead, everybody know you the head honcho, blam, this is the perfect time to start raising up your kingdom. Ain't it a good, it's the perfect time. Who ain't gonna believe that? That is him. He was there. Now he got up. Shablam, put that everywhere. Everybody, he's the Messiah. He's the king. Take your throne and let's run this place. That's not what he did. Not at all. Instead, he leaves. Anybody ever want to know why? This, this is prime time right now. You could really make it happen. You could really rule it. And you leave. You missed the perfect up. You had the whole world's attention. The kings, the emperors, the elders, all the religious elite, everybody's eyes was on you. Show yourself to them. Then you show it to hundreds of people that don't nobody even know. And then you leave. Everybody wants to be saved from something. But very few want to be saved from their sins. If he would have ruled at that moment. At that moment. Where would we be? In the mind and heart of God, every person is made uniquely different with purpose, a time to come into this world and a time to go out of this world. It was already determined before you got here. This means in God himself, every person that will ever be born or could ever be born was already determined. If he would have ruled then, you and I would not be here. Creation has to keep going forward, right? Peter's kids need to have kids. Paul's kids need to have kids. They kids need to have kids. They kids need to have kids. Thousands of kids need to keep having kids. Over thousands of kids need to keep having kids so that we could get here. For one attempt, that every person that is born after this point has an opportunity to be exactly who God wanted them to be and to meet him in heaven. He said, I'm waiting. Uh -uh, I made some folk. I made me a Gabrielle. 
Hello? I, I, made, I made me an Ariana. I made me a Lakeisha. I made me a Leanne, okay? I made me a Jonathan. And I'm not shutting this down until my baby shows up. And when they show up, I want to make sure they got an opportunity to come back home. So I'm going to forego my instant gratification. I'm going to forego my opportunity to say, aha, I told y'all ninjas I was the one. I'm going to forego it. I'm going to wait on it. I'm not going to enjoy it for one opportunity that you and I might show up and show out. That's the only reason I'm waiting. For thousands of years, he waited on this. Let's keep looking. Amen. Amen. Let's, get, let's look at. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. While you guys are going there, and last week we learned when God talks about belief and to know something, he's not talking about it is its existence. That belief and knowing God is three parts, it's threefold. You can believe the truth of something. Like, I believe in Jesus. That's a fact. But that's not all that God thinks about when he says, know me and believe in me. He says, you, first, because every man is born, look at this, according to scripture, with a conscience of God. Every man is born with an awareness of who God is. We have to corrupt it to get rid of it. Right? So just knowing that God exists, not truly knowing him. And that's not what God thinks about when he says, know me. He thinks, know the truth. That's belief in me. Then he thinks, what was the next one? That you have to be affected by it. If you know that it's me, then this truth that you know affects every part of your life. It affects when you eat, how you eat, when you sleep, where you sleep, where you sleep, where, where, where you sleep. It affects where you go, what jobs you take, because some of you got to be in church on Sunday. It affects how you raise your children, how you pick a mate or a spouse. If you really believe something, according to God's view of belief, then it affects every aspect of your life. It affects whether you're drugs, you are homosexual or heterosexual, that somehow you are affected by every aspect of this thing that you think that you know. And that's just the second part, what he thinks. The third is that if you really believe something the way God thinks, then you actually have to live up to it. The discipleship groups is me leading my church to say, live up to it. If you believe in Jesus and you believe he's the one, then live up to it. And living up to it starts reforming them every single time. I can't, Pastor. I'm not ready. I don't think God's going to use me. Oh, he used me. I was ready. I didn't believe it. Oh, my God. It's so amazing. <laughs> living up to it is the next step that says you really know something. If you're not living up to the standard of truth in your life, then you don't really know it. And then Jesus says, many will come up to me. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. You didn't allow yourself to be affected by me. You didn't allow yourself to live up to my standards. I could flat out tell you don't do something, and you do it anyway. You don't really know me. Now let's talk about this. Why 
the same person feel that God himself told them not to do something and they do it anyway? Can we, can we run it again? Because we've all have done this and we didn't realize how insane it was. Let's try it again, all right? How could a sane person, Minister Hudson, daddy, know that God told them to do something or not do something and they do it anyway? If you know he's God, he's the creator. And he said, don't do that. What makes you the one created by this creator still decide to do it anyway? The math ain't mathing. It ain't adding up. Did I go insane? I was possessed. A demon came and possessed me. I knew it. That's the answer, Pastor. Possession of demonic spirits. I knew that was the one. Deliver me, Pastor. Come on. Do the shato hata bosha and cast that demon out of me. Mm. <laughs> you come back next week. Pastor, that demon keep coming in here. <laughs> That's not how to go, okay? <laughs> But why is it that if I know I believe in God and he's the creator of everything and he tells me emphatically not to do something, my silly butt decides to keep doing it anyway. I have lost my mind. Let's look at this. Maturity. Maturity. Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says, Indeed, this is Paul talking to the Philippian church, hence Philippians. Look at me, educated. Indeed, I count everything as lost because it's the passing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is giving us a very mature statement. He's saying that I've lost everything that you could possibly lose and I count it all worth losing just so that I could really know who God is. Just so I can really know who he is. This, it was worth it. Then he says that I need to attain the type of righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Now before that he said, not the kind of righteousness that comes from the law. Now let's look at that concept for a second. The law, like the Ten Commandments, baby, all right? It was stuff that you did. And some people, unfortunately, thought that if I do the law, I'll become righteous or a good person or in right standing with God. That if I do good, then that's what will make me be in right standing with God. If I do bad, then I'm not in right standing with God. And so most people over time would start to do the law in an attempt to make themselves right with God. Right? That was the plan. And then they found out that does not work. Right? Now, back, back up to Genesis. Back, back up, back way up to Genesis, where the first person tried to be more like God and failed. 
Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, hey, you won't surely die if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve looked at it, looked good for food. She ate it. And they was naked. They knew they was naked. They started hiding from God. Something went awry. She thought that she could make herself more righteous, more like God. Because she saw something that appeared to have the ability to give her something that she felt that she needed in order to be like God. So she ate. It was the opposite. opposite. Whoa, bad choice. Death happened everywhere. Lions is killing sheep. Everybody's out for themselves. People is vulnerable. Scorpions is now biting folk. It's a mess. The ground is hard. We can't even eat. Barely got to eat. Got to sweat to make the food. Everything went awry from this one method. But she decided that she could do something. Her and Adam to make themselves more of what God had in mind. The law is just like that tree. Something that God says, I want you to look at it and observe it, but don't think that it can actually change you. Hello? The law, the Old Testament, the rules of God were not designed to make you holy. That's what they were for. Hello? Here's my mic on. Somebody tap your neighbor. Say neighbor. neighbor. Wake up. You're going to eat this today. I'll preach another day. Listen. Okay. So <laughs> the law was not designed. The do's and the don'ts was not designed to make you more like God, to make you holy. Thou shalt not lie. If I don't lie, then I'll be more like Jesus. If I do this, then I'll be more like God. If I do that, then I won't be more like God. That's not the purpose of the laws. The purpose of the laws was to show you who God is. To show you what he looks like, what his nature is, what his heart is. Oh, you're like a lamb, slain, helpless, but out of love for sacrifice. Oh, you want to come and dwell with us, be with us, talk to us. Oh, you're merciful. When I do make a mistake, you can forgive me. It was supposed to show us the type of God that we serve because we forgot. It was a reminder consistently of who he is, but that's not what it became. It became a bunch of stuff that we could do, and if we did it all right, then we're going to be more like God, and that does not work. So Paul comes along in Philippians, and he says, I want the type of righteousness that doesn't come from the law, but the type that comes and depends on faith in Christ. Hear me out. If Gabrielle, great choice, (laughs) follows me everywhere I go, And she says, Pastor, I want to be just like you. I'm going to wear my hair the way you wear your hair. I'm going to buy clothes that look like your clothes. I'm going to preach the way you preach. I'm going to try to do everything you do so I can be just like you. Is that going to make her just like me? Huh? Huh. If you put on what I put on, is that going to make you more just like me? If you do what I do, is that going to make you just like me? The only way you could be just like me is if the creator created you to be just like me. Right? That's the only way. So if you want to be more like God, doing a bunch of godly stuff is not going to make you more like I'm trying to preach the gospel. Don't nobody want to hear the truth. It is the truth anyhow. You might as well be free and really know what Christianity is about. Because it's for you. If you knew how it really worked, you'd be good at it. 
I'm telling you, some of y'all could be excellent at this, and I want you to be so good at it, and I want you to be at my church good at it. Yeah. I ain't no shame in my game. I want you at my church being good at it, but you got to understand what it's about. So Christianity says that even if you did everything the way God did it, it won't make you like God. Satan said, I want to be like God, like the most high. And he was Satan. The problem here is that when we try to make ourselves more than what God wants us to be, it ends up becoming an abomination. So how do I become more, more like God? He makes you more like him. Free gift. He makes you more like him. Your insides change. So now you're not doing your hair so you can be like me. You're doing your hair because that's the way you like your hair. Now you ain't putting on the clothes so you can be more like me. You're putting on these clothes because these are the clothes you like. Now you're not, not fornicating because you want to be more holy. You're not fornicating because you like not fornicating. It got real tight. Do I like not fornicating? We're using big words for the children in the building. Do I like this? Right? Now I'm not doing it so I can be more like God. I'm not doing it because my nature and what I find important has changed. What I find valuable has changed. How I define myself has changed. How I define life has changed. Why I breathe, why I'm here. All of this changed. So technically, I'm just not into that right now versus I'm trying to do it in order to be more like God. Everybody want to be saved. But nobody want to be saved from sins. The righteousness of God that depends on faith, Paul says, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. He said, I know he got up. He showed himself to me, to other disciples. I just hope I want to be like him on my insides. Like he could just do it in me so that the way he got up, I'll get up. And this is the missing component that most churches may not be teaching. And that's that you just don't die and go to heaven. When all of us is said and done, we come back to earth to rule with him. The wonderful part about the age that you were born in is that you are born in what is called the church age. This means that the Old Testament, that wasn't you. You were in this New Testament. After the tribulation, that's not you either. After the rapture, that's not you. You are between Christ and the rapture, and that's called the church. The saints of God. This is a unique position. There are saints of the Old Testament. They're not you. There will be saints after you and I are raptured up. They're still not, they don't have the privilege of your seat. Your seat in this age is privileged because when Christ comes back to rule as the king, you get to rule with him. He picked you and waited for you to be born now, did not start ruling then, did not start making claims then. He said, I'm going to wait and come back later when Keisha's available and she's ready to rule with me.
In my mind, I always wanted, I wanted him to rule with me, so we're going to make this happen. Our bodies will be raised from the dead and glorified just like his body was, which means we'll eat and we can vanish. We can walk through doors like he did and we can have supper. The book of Revelation says that when we return, we'll be able to go from the holy city, which is heaven, and back to earth, back and forth, back and forth. Not many beings are allowed to do that at all. You'll be priests and kings. Going to heaven, coming back, ruling with him. What y'all doing over there in Ethiopia? All right, good job. Keep it up. All right, let's worship. Hallelujah. You can go back and forth, back and forth without problems. You and I are responsible to rule with God, which means you need to be really good at life. You can't rule nobody and you didn't even like living. Hello? Hello? You barely like your life, but then you want to rule over other people's life. You are going to be a terrible ruler. They'll be like, why should I listen to you? Because I'm, I'm in charge. Did you, I, did you like life? I barely, I didn't even like it, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. See, nobody wants that. The people that get to be saints to rule with God are those that say, I did life the way he said, and I loved it. I love being with him. I love walking with him. I understand him. He understands me. And it's all copacetic. Hello? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. All right. The purpose of the law was not to make us more like God by doing it, because it can't. His purpose was that we might know God, know his mercy, his love, his righteousness, his truth. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. <laughs> In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Look at that line. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. This is an interesting concept. To know obedience through suffering. Listen, hear me out. If you have a person over you, who has authority, and they want you to do something according to their will, and you too want to do it according to your will, you both want to do the same thing. This is not obedience. This is unity. I'm going to do it again, okay? If you have an authoritative figure over you who wants you to do their will, right? And you look at their will and you go, hmm, I want to do the same thing. This is not obedience. This is unity. And in unity, authority pretty much minimizes because everybody wants the same thing. 
Authority only really has to stand up when the person in leadership wants something different than the person not in leadership. Now, Jesus was perfect and without sin. So how did he learn obedience? Uh-huh, that was your question. I know some of you was ahead of me. Like, what, how, did that, how did that happen? The Bible said he didn't learn obedience because he had a separate will like us. He learned obedience through suffering. Deal, walk with me for a second. He cried to God who could save him from death. That's what the scripture said. Father, pass this cup. And then the scripture say, God heard him. But as we know the story, because I told you at the beginning of the sermon, God did not pass that cup. And Christ died on that cross. Even though God heard him. Oh, the father heard you. You're the perfect one. And you still died on the cross. Something you, you cried, you didn't really want to do it. I, I don't want to do this. It's, uh, please, we can do it another way. And then you said, all right, let's do it. He learned obedience through suffering because he understood that in this world, when you have to do the will of God, it is painful. Even if that will is your will, it still is. Y'all don't want to help me today. Even when you want to do what God wants you to do, there's still opposition against it. There's still conflict against it. There's still pain that works against you. And you're trying to do what God wants you to do. And it, and it still hurts. Jesus being perfect. Learned obedience not because he wanted different than God. But because in this world, in order to fulfill the will of God, you have an adversary called Satan that fights against the will of God being manifested. So even when you want to do his will, you are met with suffering and pain. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. I know what it feels like to have to obey, not because my will is different, but because the level of pain that you have to go through every day and every night just trying to be faithful to what God is asking you to do. The message is on reformation through maturity. Some of y'all need to grow up quick, and that should not be new to you. You've been doing it all your life. He had to learn obedience just... And trying to do the will of God, how death and sin and Satan pressed against him. How being obedient causes him more pain and more suffering. That's why Paul says, I want to do the same thing. That I might have the same type of resurrection as my Savior. I want to have the same heart. Right? How did he get this heart? Let's, keep, let's, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Skip on down to verse 14. Then Paul says, solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Stop right there. Let me do it again. We'll read it again. Okay, I'll read it again. But solid food, thought it was up there, is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right, Paul is saying he wants to talk about some of the weightier aspects of the kingdom of God. 
He wants to talk about discipleship. He wants to talk about the book of Revelation. He wants to talk about the second coming of Christ. He wants to talk about demonic spirits and how the kingdom operates and a whole bunch of stuff. But he says, I can't talk about it because we still have a problem with the basics of God. Like we're still trying to debate about sin. We're still trying to have conversations of whether something is a sin or not a sin. He said, I can't give you meat because you're still on milk. We We can't get to the business that you are here for because you're still struggling with the basics that you should not be struggling with. That's what he's saying. He said, I want to talk to you about stuff that's higher than this. But we're stuck at this level. Because the mature, did you see that verse, says that they are mature because they're able to discern good from evil. Let's back up, back to Genesis. In Genesis, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their downfall because God said, don't eat of it. And they began to see and to know good and evil. The problem with knowing good and evil is that if you're immature, you still don't have a good sensing of determining the difference between the two. Children are abused because someone takes advantage of their inability to discern good from bad. And we protect them because we know that they don't have that ability. That's the plan. So matureness shows up because we recognize how to judge what is good and what is bad. Death came because we know good and bad, but can't do nothing about it. Eve came to the realization that I could choose something different than what God wants for me. She experienced the idea that I could will for something that God did not will for my life. And I, she saw the fruit and it looked good. She saw it and looked to make her wise. Her senses were not sufficiently mature enough to tell her that those senses that you see and those senses that you look at are not the type of senses you need to use to be mature in the kingdom of God. Just because he fine ain't the senses you need to use. Come, come on. Just because it feel good ain't the senses you need to use. Just because it look good ain't the senses you need to use. Just because you like it, that's not the sensing we're talking about. Plenty of Christians have finagled their way into sinning. Knowing that it's wrong. Came right to you, didn't I? You sat down and see was hot. Christians know that something is wrong and finagle in their hearts and minds because God gave them the ability to will and desire something different than what he wills and desires. But Christ learned obedience through suffering because anytime you can't have something your way, you are truly suffering. From the big to the small, God, don't get, oh, man, oh, come on, man, my wife, man. Every time. Every time something doesn't go the way you wanted it, it's suffering. Christ learned obedience through suffering. We learn it through suffering. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so now they know good and evil. 
to know they're capable of choosing something and desiring something that God didn't want from them. But similar to the law, this knowing has no ability to make them right. I could, you could list all the knowings of good and bad. I know I shouldn't, but I just can't help myself. I know it's not right, but maybe God will understand. I know, but he'll forgive. And, then, and, then, and, then. and you'll know good and bad of everything. You'll even know the types of consequences that you think you're about to have to go through, and you start weighing whether you can handle the consequence off the top. Where did that come from? Well, tell, okay, my mama going to say this. Uh. All right, so then when the people find out, then I'm just going to say like this. When they find out, I'm like, what? You know, then I'm going to do this. Then my job called, I'll be like, uh, <coughs> I got caught. You know, I got, so you start going down the cons. I only got two strikes. Okay, I got one strike, it's three strikes, and I still got some time. You start going down the consequences because of your knowledge of good and evil. But it has no bearing only you discern what is good. To be the saints of God, you have to rule with him. That means you have to judge. And your baby sensing like a baby rooting for milk from a breast is all you know. Just keep rooting around till you find it. And the kingdom cannot use that type of sensing. You have to be given a different type of sensing. Some power from on high that will cause you to sense good from evil, no matter how pleasant it is to the eye, no matter how good it is to the belly, no matter how sweet it sounds, no matter how much you want it, you got, I got another sensing on my inside, another power of the God Almighty that tells me what is good for me and what ain't good for me. Satan, you can't deceive me. That is not good for me. Devil, you can't lie to me. That's not good for me. Pain, you can't stop me. That's not good for me. I got another something in my members. Something in my members. Sit on down. The mature are gifted with the spirit of God that they can sense what is good for them and what is bad. And since there's only one good and that's God, then thus those believers that are mature could know what is godly and what isn't. They're not looking to the law. Well, technically it's not a sin. They go right to the Holy Spirit. That's not good for me. That's maturity. That's not good for my family. That's maturity. That's what he's trying to get us at so that we could rule and reign with him. That's the whole shebang. Because babies, you just sense it with your eyes, your mouth. You put, put your foot in your mouth. Everything got to go in your mouth. I don't know what's up with this. Similar to Adam and Eve. Put it in your mouth. Eat it. See, see, stop that. But when you are mature, you can look at some of these senses and know it's not good. Sister Mia asked me last night, she said, Pastor, have you always had temperance? Temperance means emotional control, right? And I said, I don't think so. Maybe a little bit. But the idea here is when you want to have temperance, it means that things in your emotions can get all riled up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah! And, then, and then you be like, Whew. and not only are you just calm in this, but you can see clearly. That's temperance. 
Maturity says that I'm not using the senses of my ears with the crap you said that made me angry. I'm not using the senses of my eyes with the stuff you did that made me mad. Y'all don't want to help me. I'm not using the senses. I'm not using these senses to determine how I should respond. What sensing I'm going to use is Holy Spirit, won't you tell me what I need to do? Spirit of God, won't you tell me your will? Spirit of the Most High, won't you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Lead me and I'll follow. Show me and I'll go. I'm using the Holy Spirit to determine what is good for me and what is poor. That's maturity. Hello? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. He tells us off the top, there's some things that you think is right, and it's completely wrong, <laughs> especially when you're not mature. I have to tell parents, and sometimes adolescence, the same fact that a kid, how old are you, baby? 14, how old are you, sweetie? 13. These kids, these are teens. They're babies, okay? Then you got kids, like Serenity, Duke. Then you got baby babies, like the precious one and the yellow one, okay? Baby, baby. Hey, Journey, baby, baby. All right, then you got kids. Then when you get past 18, you don't have adults. Kayla, you don't have adults yet. 19, you don't have adults. 20, you don't have an adult. 21, you don't have an adult. They're in a unique class called adolescence. It's also called the pain and never mind. But <laughs> an adolescent is different because they have now got all these sensings. And it's all registering. Pastor, I'm in love. Are you, though? Uh-huh. Mm. And I think since I'm in love and I know what I shouldn't do, that I'm not going to do it. So thus, it is okay for me to do what I want to do. Ain't that right, Ariana? Pastor, my mama here. Ain't that right? All right, here you go. Hello, somebody. So nevertheless, the problem with adolescence is that their brain is not fully developed. Part of their brain, come on, Dr. Danier, is not fully developed, okay? That means that the part of their brain that's supposed to make decisions is still not fully grown. I didn't say they bad at using them. It's not even fully, it's probably like, it, it like, you're trying to get a full grown decision from a little baby part that's not fully grown. It's not gonna happen. And the messed up part about an adolescent is they swear they got all the right sensing. They swear, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I'm supposed to. I know it. I know what God want for me, Pastor. I got adults don't even know that. I know what I want for myself. I know it. Then I say, how old are you? 21. Nope. Nope, you don't know it. And you don't even know you don't know it. You don't even know you don't know it. Because all the other sensing is functioning. All the parts that take in information. But the part that has to judge and discern that information is not fully grown. 
So you feel everything, but every time you click, 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 make a decision, click, 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 make a decision, click, click, that thing don't turn over. And this is what they say after the fact. Well, now I see that it was wrong. Do you know why you can only see it after you did it? It's because that part of your brain is not fully developed. But mature adults can see it before they do it and go, that ain't a good idea. Don't get no attitudes with me. Don't you do it. I will slam you. Ooh. You think because the guests here, I won't get in. Y'all will get in. I will. Y'all know I don't mind being embarrassed. I will put my whole reputation on the line for my sheet. What you doing? <laughs> they may not be here tomorrow. You will. And so will I. Just similar to the scripture that we see here. In what Hebrews? What did I take you? Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to a man. Just like that in the sensing of milk, there's something in you that says this is a good decision. But since you're not mature in the kingdom of God, it's still not a good decision. So what do I need to do to make myself mature? I don't know. What did you need to do to grow? I, d I just grew. Now, this is the part they don't like because they have used to being prodigies. Ain't that right? They whole life. I've been excellent, Esther. I got straight A's. I was always good at this. I was always. And so now you come in the kingdom and you are failing miserably. You thought you was going to do great and it's whoop, whoop, doop. And you keep failing at something. You thought you were supposed to get very well. And then I tell you, it's going to take time. You go, take time. Uh, I ain't, ain't going to say, just tell me what I'm going to do. I'm read my Bible. Then I'm going to pray some more. Then, then I'm going to fast some more. And then I'm going to read some more. And I say, that's all good, but that's not going to grow you no faster. <laughs> Similar to your physical growth, it ain't what you ate that made you tall. It was already determined in your genes. Your growth in God is not determined by what you do. Your growth in God is determined by what he says. And if you're going to do something, do it because you love him, not because you're trying to make yourself something. Y'all don't want to help me today. I'm doing it because I love to read my Bible because I love your word, not because I'm trying to make myself something. I'm praying because I love to talk to you, not because I'm trying to make myself something. I'm doing it because I love you. Now that I'm trying to make something of myself. I ain't doing it. Standing all over the house. 